Good morning, ladies. Welcome to Women in the Word. I'm so glad to see all of you here. I'm Shelley Davis. I'm part of the Women in the Word teaching team and part of the women's ministries here at Christ Chapel. And I can tell you this morning that there is no place else I'd rather be than with each of you studying uh, Proverbs this morning. I am glad to be here. You know, Lynn was here with us last week, and she had the privilege of sharing with us on the topic of wisdom. And when she started, she said, you know, I'm humbled by being able to speak on the incredible topic that we have this morning. And she did a great job. I am here to say this morning that I am humbled um, to talk about this topic this morning because it's a difficult topic. And I'm humbled because... There are many of you in the room this morning whose lives may have been ransacked by what we're talking about this morning. And um, I want you to know that God's grace and mercy and even his forgiveness is there today and tomorrow and every day after. So as we talk about this topic this morning, I want us to be women of courage and women of faith. And no matter how hard some of the things that we talk about in the truth of scriptures, as women of God, we're going to talk about them anyway. And I appreciate your being here this morning. I want to start out with Lamentations 3.23. It says, because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail And that's the absolute truth. So remember that as we turn to chapter 9 of Proverbs in your Bibles this morning. Remember that God's love is great and his compassions never fail. And let's let's get started. Okay, now, um, all of you know that know me know how much I love my grandkids. And my oldest grandson, Noah, is going to be four in a couple of weeks. And his mom has been hard at work on his birthday party invitation. And you know how you can make these great invitations online now, and she's been working on this for weeks. And this is the picture that's going to be on his invitation. Yeah. It's a superhero's birthday party. Now, doesn't that make you just want to go home and put on your Spider-Man pajamas and party down? I mean, really, that's what it does. Thanks, guys. You can take it down now. I'd like it up there the whole time, but y'all don't have to listen to it. You know, all of us love to get invitations. When I get the mail every day, there's the junk mail that goes in the trash. There's the bills that I kind of put aside. But if there's an envelope there that looks like an invitation, I'm excited. There's that sense of anticipation when you get what looks like an invitation in the mail. And we do the same thing when we send invitations. You know, we really want to make them special. We want to put that great Spider-Man picture on our invitation so people will be really looking forward to our celebration. And as we wise up this week together, we're going to look at an invitation that Solomon shares with us this morning. It's an invitation, a special invitation that is actually out there. For each and every one of us. One that's appealing to many. And one that's irresistible for some. So in Proverbs chapter 9. Read with me. We're going to start in verse 13. And read through 18. The woman folly is loud. She's undisciplined and without knowledge. She sits at the door of her house. On a seat at the highest point of the city. Calling out to those who pass by. Who go straight on their way. Let all who are simple come in here. She says to those who lack judgment, stolen water is sweet, food eaten in secret is delicious. 
But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of the grave. Now, when Lynn talked about wisdom last week, we were actually in the first part of chapter 9, where we met a personification of Solomon's entitled Lady Wisdom. And Lady Wisdom was also preparing a party. She was preparing a feast and inviting guests. But here in the last half of chapter 9, we see Lady Wisdom's counterpart. We see another personification by uh, Solomon, and she is called Madame Folly. Madam Folly is also busy. But unlike Lady Wisdom, who was pretty intentional and prepared with her party, Madam Folly is wild. She's unprepared. She's unruly. She's ignorant. She's undisciplined. Actually, she's the epitome of all of our foolish choices in life. And I think she's the hostess for all of us who make foolish choices in life. We also see she's really not working very hard from her guests, unlike Lady Wisdom, who in verse 3 of chapter 9 was intentionally building a house, setting a table, preparing the food. She was sending her servants out to, to uh, find the guests. Um, wild and crazy folly kind of takes the easy way out. What she does is she just kind of leans back in her chair at the front door of her house and just calls out to everyone out there. She doesn't prepare. She just yells. And, you know, it reminded me that it's really not very hard to get people to participate in foolishness, is it? We don't have to really prepare very hard to get people involved in foolish things in this life. But even though she doesn't work very hard at it, in verse 14 we see that her call to foolishness is pretty strategically placed. It says it's placed on the highest point of the city. It's clearly visible. It's very accessible. And it's there for everyone to see. You know, when we want to make something um, easily visible and acceptable for everyone, we want everyone to see it, what do we do? We put it on Facebook, don't we? Don't we go to Facebook and put it right out there? It's pretty easy. A click of a button and everybody on the Internet can see what's going on in our life. That's what Folly's doing here. She's putting it on Facebook. She's taking the easy way out. Just one click of the button, sitting at the strategically placed at the uh, top of the city. She wants to be easily seen. She wants to be heard. And she wants to invite everyone that passes by. Now, verses 15 and 16 here give us a clue as to whose name is actually written on that invitation that she's passing out. She actually uses the same words as Lady Wisdom in verse 4. Look up in chapter 9 to verse 4. And then look down again to verse 16. Because we see that both of these famous ladies who are offering two very different choices actually say the exact same thing. They say, let all who are simple come to my house. The Hebrew word for simple here, I think Deb told us in the first week when she talked about wisdom, that word means naive or gullible. It was pretty interesting to me when I studied this that Lady Wisdom and Madame Folly give identical invitations to the exact same people. And it lets us in on a secret that even the simple and naive have equal opportunity to make good choices in their life. You know, we have a tendency to look at someone and say, well, they just didn't know better. You know, they didn't have the right information. But the truth is, Lady Wisdom is calling out 
the same way Madame Folly is calling out. The difference is the choice that we make. In verse 17, we begin to get the hint that the foolishness that Madame Folly is inviting us to is not just some simple thing, not a childish prank, not something that maybe was a momentary lapse of judgment um, that won't really harm us. And we get the clue from Solomon himself in chapter 5. In chapter 5 of Proverbs, Solomon talks about faithfulness in marriage. He talks about the fact that sexual intimacy really is designed to be exclusively within the marriage covenant. And he uses the imagery of water drunk from a well to make his point of sexual intimacy within the bounds of marriage. Read that with me on your verse sheet, if you will. Proverbs chapter 5 says, Drink water from your own cistern, running water from your own well. Should your springs overflow in the streets, your streams of water in the public squares, let them be yours alone, never to be shared with strangers. May your fountain be blessed and may you rejoice in the wife of your youth. Solomon uses the imagery here of drinking water from your own well to talk about sexual intimacy within the confines of marriage. And Madame Folly uses her own imagery here when she talks about stolen water, secret food. And that is a clue to us that what she's really talking about here, the party she's inviting all of us to, is the party of sexual immorality in our lives. Now, throughout the book of Proverbs, Solomon tells us that um, Solomon characterizes foolish behavior as having deadly consequences. We looked at some of those in our homework today. There are a couple of verses on your verse sheet. Look at them with me. Proverbs 10.21 says, But fools die for lack of judgment. Proverbs 1.32 says, The complacency of fools will destroy them. And 335 says, the wise inherit honor, but fools get only shame. Folly's invitation to us is to enjoy and experience sexual immorality. And it certainly falls within the category of foolish behavior that has deadly consequences. You know, sexual immorality is a serious sin. It involves using our very bodies in the act of serious sin. And it always wreaks havoc in our lives. Read what Paul says to the church at Corinth when they were struggling with sexual immorality in their personal lives and in their church. 1 Corinthians 6 says, The body, however, is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with a prostitute? Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her in body? For it is said the two will become one flesh. But whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. Flee from sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. Do you not know that your bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have received from God? You are not your own. You were bought at a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. The party that Madame Folly is throwing and inviting us all to, to come to actually promotes the use of body as an instrument of sexual sin in our lives. And as believers, it is true that our bodies are not our own. Truly, they have been given to the Lord through a divine 
purchase. We have been bought at a price, a very high price, the blood of our Lord Jesus Christ. Our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit, and God's loving plan for his temple was not for it to be used in the sin of sexual immorality. And no matter what, Madam Folly invites each of us to, ladies, as women of faith, we've got to hold on to the truth that sexual intimacy was created by God, and it was created for the exclusive purpose of being within the covenant of marriage. And you know, as a woman, I love that. I love that because what it says to me about our God is that he has a desire to protect us, to protect me as a woman and to protect women as a gender by placing the ultimate act of intimacy. Is there anything more intimate and vulnerable that you'll do in your entire life than have a sexual relationship with a man? And God loves us so much. He has chosen to protect us by putting that within the um, bounds of marriage. It's protection for me. And it's protection for you. He did that for us as women because he cherishes us as women. Although our culture would have us think otherwise, as women, sexual relationships outside that protection of the covenant of marriage always leave us vulnerable. I have the opportunity to talk to women all day long, all week long here at the church. I never meet a woman who has had a sexual relationship outside the protection of the covenant of marriage, who hasn't felt vulnerable. She's felt vulnerable physically. She's felt vulnerable emotionally. She's felt vulnerable spiritually. Our God loves us as women too much to leave each of us unprotected and vulnerable by sexual immorality. This is not a punishment, ladies. This is a protection. But, you know, Madam Folly doesn't really love us. In fact, she doesn't love us at all, and she wants us to join her in the sin of sexual immorality. The sad truth is that many Christian women today, maybe even some of us here in this room today, have already accepted Folly's invitation to sexual immorality by being intimate with someone that is not our spouse. Someone who hasn't cared enough about us to offer us the protection of the covenant of marriage while we had that intimate relationship with them. And I want to be bold today and say to anyone that may have that going on in their life, get out of that relationship. Get out of that relationship, not because I want to make the rules for you, but because God wants to protect you. He honestly and truly wants to protect you. God is offering you grace and mercy, forgiveness and protection. It's his best for you as a woman. As Ted said in his sermon the last couple of weeks, it's his best for you, his best protection for you to be single and celibate or married and faithful. First Thessalonians 4 or 5 on your verse sheet says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified, that you should avoid sexual immorality, that each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable, not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. Madam Folly is a pagan. She wants us to join her in passionate lust like people who don't know God. And that is not who we are. 
That is not who we are. Now, it's common today if you're having an event and you're sending out an invitation, you don't just send out that paper invitation anymore. Back in my day, we used to write them out, and then it got so we had them all printed. Now we have them all printed. We send out the invitation and we set up a website because there's more to learn about this invitation. So it says, go to our website, whatever. Solomon has set up a website for us here on sexual immorality. Chapter 9 is uh, just the printed invitation. But chapters 5, 6, and 7 are really Solomon's website for each of us to learn more about sexual immorality. So we're going to turn and look at some more Uh, information that Solomon has for us. We're going to start in chapter 5, and we're going to flip back between 5, 6, and 7. So flip back to chapter 5 real quickly in your Bibles, and we're going to start there with chapter 5, verses 1 through 3. Pay attention, my son, to my wisdom. Listen well to my words of insight that you may maintain discretion and your lips may preserve knowledge. For the lips of an adulteress drip honey, and her speech is smoother than oil. And flip over to chapter 6 with me, and let's look at verses 23 through 25. For these commands are a lamp, this teaching is a light, and the correction of discipline are the way of life, keeping you from the immoral woman, from the smooth tongue of the wayward wife. Right here we see in these uh, few verses how Folly issues this invitation to us. You know, we all want our invitations to be appealing, and she does it with smooth talk. Talk words that drip honey and seductive images. Um, Solomon warns us here about it, about this appeal in the invitation, because he wants us to beware that there may be message, messages that we are sending or receiving with our words and our conversations to people of the opposite sex that may be part of Folly's invitation to immorality. I often have the opportunity, as I've said before, to talk to women about their lives, women who've had their marriages torn apart by sexual immorality, either theirs or their husbands. And, you know, it's interesting to me, it's almost the same story every time. It's like there's a website out there you can go to that says these are the steps to uh, trashing your marriage. Uh, You know how they almost always start out is an innocent conversation. You begin to have a few words of maybe flattery or flirty, um, maybe heart-to-heart with someone of the opposite sex. That's always how it starts. Let me tell you how it ends. It ends in full-blown adultery that ruins people's lives. In fact, very recently, I spoke with someone who had connected with an old boyfriend on Facebook. She thought it was innocent. After all, it was just Facebook, and they were friends years ago, and the conversations on Facebook went on. And guess what? Our marriage is in jeopardy today from what started out as a connection with someone that wasn't her husband on Facebook. And I know that all of us today have conversations with men in our lives that are not our husbands. We have neighbors and we have co-workers and um, our friends have husbands that we care about and have conversations with. And But what Solomon is saying here today to us is we've got to be on guard about our motives and theirs, about our innuendos and theirs, about our flattery and theirs, about our connections meaningful conversations 
that they have with us and we have with them. And one of the best ways that you can know if your conversations are appropriate or inappropriate is to ask yourself, do I want my um, spouse to be a part of these conversations? Would I just be okay if my spouse was here or if their spouse was here? Or does my spouse or their spouse have an objection to this Facebook conversation I'm having with another guy? Um, that's a great question to ask. The other great question to ask is if someone comes to you and says, I, I, I don't think you should be having that conversation with that man, are you willing to give it up? Or do you, something in your heart says, I, I, I really want to keep texting that person back and forth. Ask yourself those questions about your conversations with the opposite sex. The second red flag that Solomon gives us here is in verse 25 of chapter uh, 6 where he says, Do not lust in your heart after her beauty or let her captivate you with her eyes. It's true that the invitation to sexual immorality is often issued with visual images. And there was a time, ladies, when I would say, hey, this was all about men. This is a conversation we need to have about men. But the truth is our culture has been courting women recently to be uh, more visually involved with uh, images of men's bodies. Uh, It's out there. It's out there. Um, There was a movie recently. Uh, I think it was called Magic Mike. And I'm not bashing you if you saw this movie. I'm just warning you that it was a cult, our culture's attempt to push visual images of men's bodies onto women. That's the way our culture wants us to go, to be drawn in to sexual immorality because as women, we are looking at men's bodies our, and, and lusting with our eyes that leads to immorality. This is what Jesus had to say about that slippery slope of lusting with our eyes. In Matthew 5:27 on your verse sheet, he says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. But I tell you that anyone that looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. You know, and Jesus' point here is that sexual immorality isn't confined to the outward behavior itself. No one just walks up to a stranger and says, hey, let's go to bed. Let's have an affair. It really begins in the heart after a lustful look. And then a lustful look becomes a lustful thought and then a lustful thought becomes a lustful thought life and then a lustful thought life eventually becomes a full-blown action in our lives and even though women are really being courted in this area today by our culture what I really want to talk about is the men in our lives because I believe that as women of faith here today we need to be cautious about the invitation to immorality that we are sending the men in our lives by the way we dress. You know, when Ted has a sensitive subject to talk about on Sunday morning, he always says, kind of gather around. We're going to have a family talk. And that's what I want to do this morning, ladies. I want to have a family talk as sisters in Christ because unbeknownst to us, the way we dress, the way our young daughters dress, Madam Folly is using our pictures on her invitation to immorality. Some man is getting an invitation that has your picture on it of those tight jeans that you love. Some man is getting an invitation to immorality because your tank top is a little bit too low. And when you lean over your computer, 
He can see all the way to your pedicure toes. Um, (laughs) And after raising three boys, I have to say, I'm a little bit sensitive about this topic of how women dress uh, because I was constantly concerned when they were growing up about their purity. And I had to be concerned about their purity because the women and the young girls around them were completely unconcerned with their modesty. It was like it wasn't an issue at all. I believe it's true that men of integrity and faith try their best to look elsewhere when revealing clothes of today's women are around them. But I think it's hard. I think they're looking over here thinking, oops, cleavage, turn over here. Oops, short skirts, turn over here. Oops, tight rear end, can't look there. And so what they're doing is looking at the chandeliers. I mean, I I think it's a wonder they're not all tripping and falling down because there's not any place else to look in our culture. I had a woman tell me just this week who has teenage boys that one of the most difficult things for them are the workout shorts that we all wear. And, of course, she and I thought it was because they're short and bare legs. No, it's because the legs on them are loose, and when women sit down, you can see our panties. And so every young boy sitting across from a young girl in workout shorts knows the color of her underwear or the color of your underwear, or the color of my underwear. And that's not where their thought life ends, believe me. I would like to tell you that our church is a safe haven for men. They can come here, and they don't have to just look at the chandeliers. But I can't tell you that this morning, because I stand at the information desk every Sunday morning and watch our precious women come in. And it's short skirts. Low tops, tight pants, sundresses with bare arms and shoulders. And the poor men, pastors that are standing there with me, are looking at the chandeliers. Honestly, they are just looking at the chandeliers. But it's hard when one of our very own women is walking up to ask them a question, and it's cleavage, 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 you know, what do they do? They can't just say, okay, I'll answer your question, but uh, I'm not going to look at you. I'm not going to give you clothing rules this morning. We could flash pictures on the screen. Uh, Years ago when I was a uh, student at Dallas Seminary, they had a little fashion show for the incoming women students. They had to show us way to dress coming into a seminary. We're not going to do that this morning. But I am going to ask you as family, as sisters in Christ, to never leave the house without looking at what someone else is seeing, without taking a look at whether it's too tight, too low, too short, without saying, is my picture going to be on Folly's invitation um, today? The other thing we're probably not going to do, and many of you will come up and say, Ted needs to talk about this on Sunday morning. We're probably not going to do that except in general terms. And let me tell you why. Because half of the women in our church on Sunday morning probably don't know Jesus. And they've come in off the streets in their sundresses and their short skirts looking for the gospel. And if we make it about what they're wearing, their hearts are never going to be changed. But because we're family, we can talk about that. And I want you to share it with your sisters in Christ. And I want you to share it with your daughters 
and everyone around you that you know does not want their picture on the invitation to folly. So let's warm it up and do the right thing for the men around us. 1 Corinthians 10.23 on your verse sheet says, I have the right to do anything, you say, but not everything is beneficial. I have the right to do anything, but not everything is constructive. No one should see to their own good, but to the good of others. And that's true. We don't need to be seen to our own good, but to the good of the men around us. You know, the next thing we can learn from Solomon here in these chapters is that accepting Folly's invitation comes with a cost. It's just like most invitations. You know, if you're invited to a birthday party, the cost of going is buying a gift. If you're invited to a destination wedding, the cost of going may be a hotel room and a plane ticket. The cost of accepting Folly's invitation to immorality may be everything you have, including your life. Look at me. Look with me at chapter 5, flip back over to chapter 5, verses 5 through 11. Her feet, and this is the immoral woman he's talking about, her feet go down to death. Her steps lead straight to the grave. She gives no thought to the way of life. Her paths are crooked, but she knows it not. Now then, my sons, listen to me. Do not turn aside from what I say. Keep a path far from her, Do not go near the door of her house, lest you give your best strength to others and your years to one who is cruel. Lest strangers feast on your wealth and your toil enrich another man's house. At the end of your life you will groan when your flesh and body are spent. Now flip over to chapter 6 with me and read what he says in verses 26 through 33. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Men do not despise a thief if he steals to satisfy his hunger when he is starving. Yet if he is caught, he must pay sevenfold, though it costs him all the wealth of his house. But a man who commits adultery lacks judgment... Whoever does so destroys himself. Blows and disgrace are his lot, and his shame will never be wiped away. The bottom line is the cost of immorality is high, higher than anyone ever wants to acknowledge or admit. According to these verses in chapters 5 and 6, it comes with many losses. The loss of your health, the loss of your self-respect, the loss of your reputation, the loss of your money, even the loss of your family. In the end, sexual immorality may even cost you your life. Solomon says here that people may sympathize with a thief that steals bread because he's hungry. But someone who becomes involved in adultery shows his complete and utter stupidity and his shame will never be wiped away. It's interesting to me that even though adultery, immorality, sexual immorality comes at a high cost, most people still agree to come to the party. And the reason they still agree to come to the party is they deny that cost. They don't want to talk about it up front. If we ask people, write a check for your immorality right now before you take that first step, they wouldn't want to talk to you about it. Some years ago, I was part of a counseling session with a couple 
um, because the husband was been on divorce because he had been involved with another woman. And this counseling session was, I think, he felt like an opportunity to tell everyone how much happier they would be if um, this couple divorced and everybody got on with their lives. And at one point in the conversation, I couldn't stand it anymore, and I just, I just stopped him and I said, I want you to hear me say this. I want you to hear me say this. I want you to realize that this is not just going to affect you which is what you're talking about here. Oh, I'm going to be so much better off. This will alter the course of your children's lives forever. And the second I said that, he jumped out of his chair enraged, and I honestly thought he was going to physically attack me. After everything calmed down and I I thought about it later, what happened there? What happened was he was bent on denying the cost of his own foolish behavior. And for me to even voice it was enough to enrage him. No one wants to be handed the bill for their sexual immorality. But at some point, they are going to have to pay the check. Now, in his great wisdom, Solomon was gracious enough to not only warn us about Folly's invitation in these chapters, he tells us how to take out the reply card and mark decline. Look at me in chapter 7, verses 1 through 5. My son, keep my words and store up my commands within you. Keep my commands and you will live. Guard my teachings as the apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister... Call understanding your kinsmen, and they will keep you from the adulteress, from the wayward wife with her selective words. According to Solomon, one of the best ways that we can mark decline to this invitation is to listen and learn. That means we have to be teachable. We have to be teachable. We have to be willing to listen and learn from our own parents. We have to be willing to listen and learn from God himself. We have to be willing to listen and learn from the people that are wise and in authority around us. Being teachable takes a humble heart, a listening ear, a commitment to the truth, an active pursuit of wisdom. You're going to have to be actively involved in tying this wisdom on your fingers, in your heart, as Solomon says here. But you know what this really points out to me? For those of us in the room that are parents or may be parents in the future, is it tells us that we have to be teachers of our own children. Over and over again, Solomon says to his son, listen, and he says to all of us, listen to your mother, listen to your father. We are responsible as parents to be examples of the truth in our children's lives when it comes to sexual immorality. We're also responsible for being tellers of the truth when it comes to sexual immorality. And that truth that we need to teach our children from an early age is what I said earlier. The truth is God wants to protect us. And he wants to protect us by saying to us, we need to either be single and celibate or we need to be married and faithful. You know, today's culture is so saturated with sexual immorality. It is the norm now. Um, Morality is the exception. Sexual immorality is the norm. So the only voice that's going to be telling your child the truth is you. And God wants you to do that. Um, he wants them, you to tell them the truth that God created sex exclusively 
for the boundaries of marriage. He didn't, he didn't create it for high school romances. He didn't create it for college hookups. He didn't con create it for convenient uh, relationships between unmarried people. Someone told me recently that when her children were young, she attended a parenting conference. And at that conference, she was given the advice to tell her kids that she had an expectation that they would not be sexually active until they were married. And why? Why did, why did she tell them that? And she did it. And because of her boldness, her children had a standard to hang on to. They had something to go to besides, well, everybody else is doing it or it's on every television show. They had a reason to say no because mom had given them that expectation and they did. Proverbs 22.6 on your verse sheet says, and it says 16, but it's actually 6. Train a child in the way he should go. And when he is old, he will not return to it. Parents, we have a responsibility to our children. The next thing Solomon tells us real quickly is that we need to be vigilant. We need to be vigilant. In chapter 6, he actually tells us, um, keep a path far from her door. He says, the command is a lamp. Teaching is a light. And what he's saying to us is we have to be vigilant in using the light and the lamp of Scripture to make sure that we don't stumble onto the wrong path. We can't just be Christians ambling along saying, uh, yeah, that TV show is pretty crummy, or uh, I don't know, maybe I shouldn't have seen that movie, or gosh, I didn't know this book had that in it, you know. Because one day we're going to have gone through the door of sexual immorality and think, how did we get there? We got there because we weren't vigilant. We didn't use the light and the lamp of God's truth to find the path that we should be on. Solomon says it over and over again in these scriptures. Look, listen, pay attention. Many things can creep into our lives and invite us to a party if we are not vigilant. And the last thing that Solomon tells us in these chapters is to refuse this invitation. We must be disciplined. Look at Verse 23 in chapter 5. He says, He will die for lack of discipline, led astray by his own great folly. You know, I don't really like that word discipline very much because whenever I read it, I think, oh, this is going to be hard. It's going to be diet or it's going to be an exercise or whatever. That is the wrong attitude by me because the truth that Solomon shares with us in this verse is that it's the lack of discipline that makes our lives hard. Not the discipline. It's discipline that keeps us saying no thank you to all the invitations in the world. That will harm us. Uh, one of my kids, when they were growing up, suffered from uh, really severe migraine headaches in elementary school and um, middle school. And he discovered quickly that all those great sleepovers and campouts and whatever that middle school boys are invited to was really an invitation for him to have a migraine headache for days afterwards. And so he discovered that it was going to take discipline in his life to leave the party when it was time for him to go to bed. Because if he didn't do it, he was going to suffer. The same thing is true for us that um, a child discovered. It takes discipline to refuse the party. But if we don't, we are going to suffer. We are going to suffer. I don't know about you, but when I get an invitation in the mail... The best thing for me to do with an invitation is have a ready response. Um, to go immediately to my calendar to check and see, is this going to work out? Uh, because if I don't have a ready response, then bad things happen. I lose the reply card. I think, did I mail that reply card? What happened to it? Or I forget the event completely because I haven't had a ready response and taken care of it. 
As women studying the scriptures today, ladies, I want us all to have a ready response to the invitation that folly is giving to us. We need to be prepared at all times to decline her frequent invitation to sexual immorality because it's in our everyday lives. That invitation is already in the mail to you and it's going to come every single day because that's the world we live in. And the reason we can be prepared and have a ready response, prepared to decline that invitation, is because the choice is ours to make. That choice is not the world's to make. Just because that's the way the world lives, they don't get to make that choice for us. It's not the choice of the people around us that are already involved in sexual immorality. Maybe our friends are living with um, the men in their life they're not married to, but it's not their choice to make. It's our choice to make. Declining is something that we must do. No matter who we are or no matter what the circumstances. I bet many of you in the room are familiar with the story of Joseph. He was one of Jacob's 12 children when he was young. He was sold into slavery into Egypt by his brothers. He came to be a slave in the household of a wealthy and prominent um, man by the name of Potiphar. Now, Joseph was young and handsome and before very long... Potiphar's wife was wildly attracted to him and pursued him. And one day she caught him alone and demanded that he go to bed with her. But even as a slave, commanded by his master's wife, Joseph had a ready response. And he knew that even as a slave, it was his choice to decline that invitation by folly. And that's exactly what he did. No matter who we are or what circumstances we have, we have the choice to decline. There's a poem by Robert Frost that I've always loved. Um, I was reminded of the last two lines of it. It's called The Road Not Taken when I was writing this lesson. The last two lines of his poem says, Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled. And that has made all the difference. Say no to folly. And I guarantee you it will make all the difference in your life. Pray with me. Father, we thank you for your truth. We thank you for your grace and your mercy and your love and your forgiveness also. I thank you as a woman who loves you for your protection. Father, I ask that you would extend that to all the women that are here today. All the women that are in Christ Chapel. I pray that you would continue to teach us from your word, that you would give us courage and faith uh, to move forward with what you've convicted us of today. And Father, we ask that our lives and our bodies would honor you each and every day. I pray this in the name of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Thanks, ladies.